Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. Come on. Margaret, I got your text. Thank you. I uh, was busy worshipping and I got a text from Margaret saying, we miss you. Sorry you can't be here today. I'm here just for you, Margaret. Thank you. Hey, well, good morning. It is so good to be with you. As I said, finally face to face. It's been too long and my apologies for my absence. Uh, Just a whole lot of stuff going on contractually at work that I've got to navigate, but I'm here, amen. What a year 2020 was. Um, I've seen some social media posts at the moment, and I love it. It says this, that the first rule of 2021 is don't talk about 2020. So this is the last time I'm going to talk about it, Scouts Honor, and then I'm moving forward as well, which is cool. Um, but, you know, I know for you know, me and my family, we've had a year, last year was really a lot of highs and lows. Uh, highs were we finally got into our own home, or well, we're building our own home at the moment, uh, which is an absolute miracle. Um, open doors that we didn't think God would even open, but He has. Uh, lows, probably about three significant holidays that were cancelled on us, lost a lot of money on them, such is life. Uh, you know, but if, if I'm going to start... 2021 really open and transparent with you. You know, I've even struggled with just being really angry at times and disappointed with God at what's gone on in 2020. But who knows that God is big enough that that's okay, right? We can come to Him as we are. We can come to Him as we're feeling. We can bear our heart on our sleeve, so to speak. God wants that. He's okay with that. Uh, and as I was getting this word together this morning, oh, this morning, there you go. There it is. One morning. I felt like God really impressed upon me that He wanted to remind us as a church, remind us as people that the God we serve is really a God by His nature that is a God of the second chance. He's a God that looks for opportunity continually to redeem us and restore us in our life. And so the, the title of my message this morning is just that, a second chance God. For all of us, I think we can agree if I just ask you to take a moment Think back over your life. There's probably times and seasons where you can think about things you've done that maybe you're not so proud of or times where maybe you've just fallen short or you've dropped the ball or maybe you've struggled with sin or you're still struggling with sin and there's things that you'd rather not remember and keep them in your in your past. Amen. But it's important in these times to understand that as people of God, we have an enemy, a spiritual enemy. His name's the devil. And he, he's called in Revelation 12.10, the accuser of the brethren. And he's really, really, really good at accusing us, looking for opportunity to blame us, looking at opportunity to label us and remind us of the things that we're not doing well that we've fallen short, that we're not going to make it. It's almost like he's that figure in the background of our lives that opens the filing drawer of our past and is continually going through it, trying to find opportunity to pull things out and blame us and label us and condemn us, right? And the reason uh, we need to talk about that is because I think as people who profess to follow Christ, so often we can find ourselves or, or know people that seem to have traded that mantle of Christ for the mantle of the enemy. And what do I mean by that? People that want to follow Jesus, but they're just walking around with this heaviness and they bound and they stuck and they, they don't, they've never walked in that freedom or they don't understand that, that freedom and they feel almost guilty. They carry this guilt or they're always um, feeling that they don't have a voice to speak in what they believe. And I kind of just had the stirring in myself that often 
we have there are people that so desperately want to shift and want to change and want to meet God in a new level and a new way, but they find themselves trapped in this dark place. And if you're kind of walking in a dark place, it's very hard to know where you're going, right? It's very hard to have direction. It's almost what the Bible calls you become a sheep without a shepherd. You don't know where you're supposed to be going. And if you don't feel you have a voice, it's really hard to worship. And if we're not worshiping, we don't find ourselves coming before that throne of grace and mercy, before that throne room of God. And if we're not before the throne room of God, then we don't stand in that light. And what's the benefit of standing in His light? It exposes that which tries to hide in us in the dark places, right? And so people carry around those things in the dark and that yoke of guilt and shame maybe or things they regret just gets heavier and heavier. They can never shake it off their life. But I believe the time has really come and I know I've said it many times before in the life of our church that we as a church need to find our voice. And we need to be able to stand up and and raise men and women up that are unshakable in what they believe. They're not ashamed to speak what they believe and that they're not ashamed to fill their life. They live a lifestyle that is filled with praise, filled with worship. You know, the best way that you can silence the enemy's voice in your life, the, the accusations and maybe the condemnation that comes at times is to fill his ears with heavenly praise. Amen. When the enemy begins to get louder in your world, you got to get louder than him in your praise and your worship. Amen. Matthew 16, 24 gives us this idea about if we're going to follow Christ, then we've got to carry our cross, right? And I felt God just, uh, you know, stir that picture in me that carry your cross. It's about, you know, sacrificing things. It's building disciplines in your life. It's staying the course with Christ. But sometimes I think we forget the purpose of that cross is to be carried and we allow ourselves to get nailed to it. And what do I mean by that? We allow ourselves or people in the, stuck in that place of, of condemnation or, or feeling the enemy accusing them, they allow themselves to go through a process that Jesus has already gone through for us. And they allow themselves to get nailed to a cross because they don't feel that they're deserving or worthy of what God has for them. But the problem is if you allow yourself to get nailed to the cross, you can't use your hands to lift up in worship. If your feet are nailed to a cross, you become immobilized. You can't follow Christ. You're not carrying your cross. You're stuck on it. And so often people become arrested in their life in this one point. And I hear so often that people say, well, I'm just stuck, Justin. I'm just stuck in this place. I've come out of a really bad situation or a really bad year. And I feel like I'm going back into the same situation. Here it comes again, another year. And we can't seem to move forward on that. But I want you to know this afternoon that God declares, and I feel this is stirring in my spirit for our church, that for some people, it's time that you get off the cross. Why? Because that work's already been done. God has already done that. He sent His Son to pay the price for your life. You don't have to keep going through those motions because God has already said, you know what? The work of my Son covers it all. And I want you to start a new journey with me. And I want you to keep following me and keep walking with me. My conviction is this, is that we're living in an age where so many people are quick to profess Christianity with their mouths, but behind closed doors, they're denying Him with the lifestyle that they live, right? That maybe behind closed doors, they're still bound, they're still broken, they're taken captive under that guilt and that shame. And at some point, church, we've got to, you know, we've got to draw a line in the sand and we've got to go, you know what, enough's enough. Enough's enough. Maybe that's your life where it's like, you know what, here we go again. Another year, here's the same circumstance, the same problem. But I want you to stay with me this morning because I want you to get that nudge in your spirit to be able to say, you know what, enough is enough. 
Enough is enough. At some point, we've got to break through. At some point, we've got to start closing that gap, right, between what we believe and the lifestyle that we live. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to come with me. I want to read a story in John chapter 8 and starting in verse 2. And it says this, Now, early in the morning, he being Jesus came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law, everybody say the law, the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? What do you think about this, Jesus? And they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. There it is, accusation bound up in the law. We find the accuser of the brethren. But Jesus stooped down wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking, asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, he is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of light. Herein represents the perfect picture of God's grace and mercy. It's a story touched by a work that Jesus was about to do on the cross And it's a story of law meeting grace and grace overcoming, not because law was inferior, but because the law was about to be made complete in what Jesus was going to do, right? I want you to understand that if we have to get hold of this image of God as a God that gives us a second chance, then we've got to catch this transition from law into grace. You see, because law demands from us atonement. Right, Law seeks from us works. It measures our deeds. It puts responsibility on us, earning right standing with God. We've got to work under the law to be worthy. Right? We've got to work at it. We've got to, we read this, this story, this woman, she's caught in the act of adultery. And you've got to understand that was never debated. She was caught in the act of sin. Even Jesus acknowledged that. She was sinning. She was caught by the Pharisees and scribes, sinning. And she was bought by them. Sinning, probably very humiliated, very ashamed, very worried, brought into the midst of this group of people in front of Jesus. And in the story, Jesus for us represents grace. She's brought by the Pharisees and scribes who here represent to us law. And the first thing law does is it looks to accuse and condemn and remind us of our shortfallings in front of grace. It looks to pick up stones in our life and throw them at us for everything that we're doing wrong. And maybe some of you this afternoon feel like, wow, I've come out of 2020 or I'm in that place where I just constantly am feeling condemned or judged or guilty or ashamed that it's just like people are waiting for an opportunity to pick up a stone and throw it at me. Maybe some of you even are bearing scars and bruises of stones that already have been thrown at you, right? But this story is a story of grace and redemption. So maybe, maybe you've heard it before, a lot of people have, but you find it very hard 
to, to conceive it and lay hold of it. And maybe you feel a little bit like that woman, that regardless of the fact that she's before Jesus, that's how you feel. That's how you feel. Maybe you even feel deserving of what you're going through in your life. Maybe you feel like, well, you know what? I got it coming. This is just, this is just my life. These are the cards I was dealt. I got to play them, right? And if that is in some small way how you feel, if you can identify with that, then I want you to stay with me this morning because I want to speak truth into you. I want you to catch a revelation that I believe this afternoon will lift a burden from you. Why? Because Jesus in that moment of being confronted by all these people accusing this woman doesn't even take the time to consider them. The Bible tells us that he stoops down to the ground and he begins writing with his fingers if he hadn't even heard what was being said. And so the first thing I want to tell you is this, that Jesus is not listening to the accusations that the enemy is bringing against you. He doesn't care for them. He doesn't put weight on them. I want you to hear this very carefully this morning. Jesus' view of you is not filtered or determined in any way by the accusations that the enemy brings against you. He doesn't need them to make an assessment of how he thinks about you. Amen. And the beautiful thing about this is that grace doesn't need to consider your wrongs. Grace doesn't need to remember how you haven't done it right, how you haven't maybe done things right last year, how you've disappointed someone, how maybe you're struggling with sin. The beautiful thing about grace is this, that in spite of all of that, grace still looks for an opportunity to forgive sin. Grace still looks for an opportunity to wipe the slate clean. Grace still looks for an opportunity to restore and redeem you in spite of who you think you are. Amen. And I want to encourage you this morning. Some of you must think, you know what? Surely, surely this woman coming before Jesus caught in the act, he's standing there hearing these accusations from Pharisees, scribes, people around him. Surely he's got to think, well, you know what? Maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. She shouldn't have been doing what she was doing. Maybe she's wrong, but that's not what I read. That's not the Jesus that I read about when I read the Bible. Because again, when he starts to hear accusations, immediately he goes again, drops down to the floor, and he begins to write in the sand. Why? Because you know what? Jesus has in this situation, in this moment, a higher authority and a higher power than anyone else standing there. Why? Because what no one else knew was he was about to do something that was going to give him victory, that was going to give him the authority over every sin, every wrongdoing. He was about to do the ultimate act, perform the ultimate act of love and sacrifice to wipe away every sin, wipe every slate clean. And as we read on, we discover how Jesus responds, right? In a, very, uh, in a single reply, Jesus silences those women's accusers. In one simple response, he releases stones from the hands of people that were so ready to throw them at her. How? He says this, he who is without sin amongst you, be the first to throw the stone. Go for it. Jesus cuts straight to the very issue at hand in the situation. What's that? That those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, right? Shouldn't throw stones. In other words, condemnation is very quick to turn an eye to its own sin and that the accuser of God's children is in fact called the chief amongst sinners. And so what Jesus is trying to get at, he's going, guys, I understand where you're at. But the first thing I want you all to remember is that you're bringing her to me under your law. But what you've got to understand under law is that none of you in my eyes are any different to this woman. 
All of you have sinned. In my eyes, all of you at some point will be deserving of the consequences of your sin, which is death. Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of the glory of God outside of Christ. Every man, woman, and child has sinned and are deserving of its wages, which the Bible tells us is what? It's death. And it's almost as if Jesus in the story is instantly wanting to level the playing field before he goes any further. And he goes, guys, just remember that this woman is not the only one out on that lonely branch called sin. In fact, in my eyes, you're all, you're all there. Truth is, you're all fallible in your humanity. The truth is that without accepting what I'm about to do for you, you're never going to qualify. You're never going to get it right. You're never going to be perfect. At some point, you're going to drop the ball. And so finally left alone to be beheld by Jesus, this woman realizes, well, the crowd's disappearing. No one's throwing stones at me. And so she's lifted to her feet by Jesus and he asks her, where are your condemners? She says, I don't know, Lord. He goes, well, is no one going to condemn you? Well, I guess not. Well, hey, here's the truth. And I believe in that moment, he would have looked at her probably right into her eyes and her very soul and said, well, you know what? I don't condemn you either. I want you to get up, daughter, and I want you to go and I don't want you to sin anymore. And I can almost imagine her leaving that place just with an absolute tears in the face, gratitude that, you see, because you've got to understand, I want to put this in context for you. Back in that time, society was fabricated around the Mosaic law. For those that believed in Christ, the Jewish culture was based on Mosaic law. And so the outcomes, how you lived your life, the consequences of how you lived your life was all based on the law. And so the minute this woman was caught in the act of adultery, she knew that she had a death sentence on her head. She knew that she was going to be taken from there, put on trial, condemned, and then die an extremely painful and slow death as people got to stone her over and over and over again. I want you just to understand, this is what she's grappling with. She's brought naked, embarrassed, ashamed, humiliated before Jesus, this rabbi, thinking this is it. My time's up. I'm about to go through hell for what I've done, and I, I deserve it, and I understand that, but man, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. And then all of a sudden, she's walking out of that situation, being forgiven, not stoned, not dying, given a second chance. How would that have felt in that time and culture for this woman naked and alone, walking away from Jesus, going, I've just been given a reprieve. I can only imagine what was lifted off her shoulders. I can only imagine the gratitude of gra the grace and mercy that she did not expect would come, but it came. How is it that Jesus could ignore the requirement of the law and just excuse this woman from paying for her sin? Well, you know what? I believe the moment that he stooped down in the dust and he was drawing somewhere in there surely must have been the image of the cross. Jesus knew what no one else knew was that very soon he was about to do what he had been born to do. He was about to take in that moment that woman's sin, that woman's adultery, that woman's shame, that woman's guilt upon himself, take it to the cross, die an even more excruciating death for her. Why? Because she has a father that loves her and sent his son to die for her. And for that very reason... He was able to lift her up and say, woman, 
I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Why? Church, I want you to hear this this morning. Because she was loved. God is a God of the second chance. Why? Because you're loved. God is a God of grace and mercy. Why? Because He loves you. And He loves you so passionately that He sent His Son to die for you. And I want you to hear me this morning, if nothing else, that that grace that He has knows all the things you've done wrong and are going to do wrong. Knows the warts. Knows it all. Knows you're going to drop the ball. Knows maybe you haven't been the best parent. Knows maybe you've done things you shouldn't have done in your life. Maybe last year was one of those years. But in spite of that, His love transcends it. And He says, if I had to do it again, for you, I would. For you, I would. Because you're loved. And this woman was thrown down by the law of sinner, but she was raised up by grace forgiven. She was raised up by grace. She entered into His presence carrying guilt, but she walked out there with freedom on her life. She didn't qualify for a second chance. All logic or reasoning, she didn't qualify for a second chance. Maybe you're thinking, Justin, you know what? I've heard this so many times. But I just don't qualify for a second chance. If you knew what I've done, if you knew what I've carried, if you knew what's been going on in my world, I don't qualify for a second chance. I want to tell you, you do. You do. The blood of Christ shed on Calvary for your life covers every sin, covers everything you've ever done. Sometimes we feel there's no ways we can let go maybe of what's happened in our past. And again, so many people maybe are carrying into this year stuff they've struggled with, wrestled with in 2020. But I want to tell you this, you know what, I, I remember having this conversation with someone very recently and it was just, and I just don't, what would you, if I had to really be honest with Jesus, if I had to get on my knees and bear everything, I would feel so naked, I would feel so ashamed, I'd feel so exposed, I'd feel so forsaken, how could he ever give me that second chance? But I want to remind you of this, Jesus knows what it's like to be naked. Jesus knows what it's like to be nailed, condemned to a cross. Jesus knows what it's like to be beaten and broken and spat on and forsaken and ridiculed and mocked and left to die by people that were supposed to be with him through it all. His disciples, his family, people forsook him in that moment and it was just him wondering where his father was dying on a cross. Because he understands it, He's lived it as a man on this earth. He says, I want you to come to me because I understand it. And nothing you've ever done would make me turn away from you if you would just come to me. You know what? God is strong enough to carry you, but he's gentle enough that he will work through those things to heal you in your heart and restore you. And I love this a song that we sing at church and we did for a while. And it says, oh, come to the altar. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today. There's no reason to wait. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. From the ashes, from your brokenness, from disappointment, from not getting it right. God is able to speak into your life, new life. I don't care how hot the fire has burned you. I don't care how badly your life has been singed. God can bring forth new life. He's a God of the second chance. But we've got to start changing our language. We've got to start not speaking according to what we're seeing, but begin speaking by what we believe. 
speaking by what God says about us, speaking about what God says about who you are, about your circumstances, about your, what is the Word of God saying? Align your life, command your life to line up with what God says about you. Like Ezekiel, maybe you're standing in a valley and all you're seeing are the dry bones. Maybe it's lost dreams. Maybe it's major disappointments. Maybe it's hope that's died a long time ago. Maybe it's distant memories. But as God spoke to Ezekiel and He said, prophesy the Word of God to these bones. Speak life. And as you do from the ashes and from the dry place, God will begin to raise new life. God will begin to restore dreams. God will begin to carry you forward. We've got to stop looking at what's behind us. I want you today to make, to determine that you're not going to listen anymore to maybe what the enemy is saying about you, about your marriage, about your kids, about your business, about your future. Because there's a higher authority in your life. And I'm telling you, it's the Word of God. It's Jesus Christ. And He has a hope and He has a future for you. And He went to a cross and He died and He rose again that you would have life and have it in abundance. And so as we come to a close, I want to read you this. Luke 4.18, Jesus is speaking and prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Do you know as sons and daughters, we have the same Spirit of God resting in our life. We have the same Spirit of God on the inside of us that equips us to speak the Word, that equips us to speak in a moment to see those that are brokenhearted healed, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to restore sight to the blind. That same Spirit lives on the inside of you. And when you simply come to Him as you are and you open your heart and your life to Jesus, you say, God, I don't always have it right, but I'm here. What I do know is that you went to the cross for me, that you died and you rose again. So here I am. You allow the Spirit of God to do a work on the inside of you, that you can carry His grace and His mercy in your life, not just for you, but for somebody else. Amen. I'm going to get the band up if I can, guys. Thank you. And as we bring this to a close, I just want to remind you again, God is a God of the second chance. And maybe for those of you that have really struggled with that and struggled with carrying that yoke, maybe of feeling guilty, of maybe feeling ashamed for far too long, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember that thief that hung on the cross with Jesus. When Jesus was crucified, he was crucified on top of a mountain called Golgotha and there were two other people that were being crucified with him. These two other people deserved what they were getting. According to the law, they were robbers, they were thieves, they'd done bad things most of their life. And so finally they were getting what everyone thought they deserved. But what blows me away about this story is that there is this man hanging to the side of Jesus, doesn't believe he deserves much, doesn't believe he's worth much, probably done some really bad things in his life. That's why he's on the cross, right? But even he, looks at Jesus broken and bleeding, dying on the cross before him and knows that this man should be on the cross. He doesn't deserve to be here. This isn't right. And in that moment, he's convicted. And what blows my mind is God would even look for an opportunity to save a thief on a cross in the final hour. That's how much he loves us. And this guy says, God, I'm not even worthy that to ask that you would save me. If you knew my life, you wouldn't anyway. So I'm not going to ask it. All I want to ask is that you would just remember me. 
Just remember this moment, God. Just remember me that I had the brains to see that you shouldn't be here. And I love what Jesus does. He goes above and beyond, right? He turns to him and he says, This day, assuredly, I'm telling you, not only am I going to remember you, but you're coming with me. You're going to be with me in paradise. And that's all it took. One heart reaching out to Christ. God, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know what to pray. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know if I can turn up to church the way I've lived my life. I'm embarrassed. God says, you're here. You're here. It's okay. That's all I need. It's all I want. I'll do the rest. This day, I want to tell you, you're with me in paradise. I forgive your sins. The work on the cross is absolutely... Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa. God bless.